Hey, this is Lucky Yates. Hey there, this is Jimmy Simpson. Hello, this is Brad Sherwood. Hi, this is Claire Coffey. This is Andy Daly. Hey there, this is Kevin Durant. Hi, I'm Chris Barnell. Hey, this is TJ Fines. Hey y'all, this is David Hoffman. You are listening to Next Level Radio. Have fun. It's time for the Showcast. And now, here they are, those pop culture junkies and your hosts, Ben Beck, Adam Gorey, and Steve Richards. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another Showcast Spotlight here on the Next Level Network. I am Ben Beck, joined by my co-host for the evening, Mr. Steve Richards. And our guest this time around has been seen on some great TV shows such as Bones, How to Get Away with Murder, and The Goldbergs. But now he can be seen as a leading man on the CBS show The Inspectors. Please welcome to the spotlight, Brett Green. Brett, thanks for joining us. What's up, guys? Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, no problem. Are you calling? Uh, are you a West Coast guy, East Coast guy? I'm assuming West Coast. West Coast, yeah. Actually, um, was just hanging out at the beach um, near Santa Monica a little bit ago. So yeah, I'm a total total West Coast guy now. I'm from Michigan, so I guess I'm a Midwestern boy living on the West Coast. Man, it's got to be nice to hang out on the beach in October. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, my family. I talked to them, and it's like the first topic of conversation is always the weather. <laughs> They're all still back in Michigan, and I'm like, we don't really talk about the weather much out here in California because it's kind of the same every day. <laughs> it doesn't change out there. That's a good reason why. Where are you guys at? We're based out of, we're like the Philadelphia uh, area. Okay. So we, uh... <clears throat> One city I haven't been to. Um, One big city I guess I haven't been to is Philly. No, you got to change that. You know, come on out. We got some no. good stuff out here. Take that back. I went to Philly when I was like 12, and I went and saw... Um, Nope, that was Pittsburgh. Never mind. I have not been to Pittsburgh. <laughs> I was going to say I saw a Pittsburgh Pirates game, and as soon as I started talking, I was like, wait a second, that's not in Philly. Nope. No, they're kind of, uh, even though they're the same state sports-wise, they're uh, they're pretty much rivals. So. Okay. okay, so you guys don't like Pittsburgh. I, per- I personally, I have nothing against the city. It's the sports teams I don't like. Okay. All right, so you guys are, uh, you guys are Eagles fans, I assume? Well, yeah. Eagles, Phillies, you know, yeah, those those teams. I did. I dislike. I dislike Pittsburgh sports so much that I do dislike the city. <laughs> I know how that can go. I'm I'm the same way with, uh, with Chicago. I'm a I'm a Michigan boy, so um, most most Chicago sports teams. Although I am rooting for the Cubs tonight to pull off uh, pull off the win and, and and win the World Series. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. I'm uh, I mean, there are two teams that have haven't really seen this spotlight before so you don't know who to root for unless you're a fan of one of those two teams but i'm i'm personally rooting for the cubbies too i hope they uh i, I know they take it's it. almost you almost rather you're like hey as long as somebody's gonna win right it's either gonna be <laughs> cleveland gets to celebrate their second championship or uh or chicago gets to finally put an end to the curse so it's a yeah. good storyline regardless yeah exactly and i think when you when you put it like that i think chicago is the bigger underdog so i'm uh yeah i'm rooting for chicago well, I'm a, trust me, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. I'm, I'm, I'm a perpetual rooter for the underdog. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as we you know, we mentioned in, at the top of the interview, you, you guys are currently in your second season of The Inspectors. Uh, for those people who haven't seen the show, tell us a little bit about the show and your character, Preston Wainwright. Yeah, this, the, show, uh, the show airs on Saturday mornings on CBS, um, which is 
a little bit non-traditional, but we've we've had a lot of fun with it. So the show um, kind of aims our, our target audience is, is families. It's not necessarily a kids show, um, and and so the show follows my character Preston Wainwright and his friends. Um, they're uh, freshmen, sophomores in college. And Preston is in a wheelchair. He uh, got in a car accident that actually took his father's life, and uh, you know took the use of his legs. And so it's kind of an an interesting character to play and an interesting character to have on television just because there's this big push right now in TV to get um, more characters who look like, you know, everyday Americans. Um, you know, they're not all just, um, you know, able-bodied white males. Uh, so it's pretty cool to be a part of, you know, trying to diversify TV a little bit. Um, the show also follows uh, my character's mom, Amanda Wainwright, who is a United States Postal Inspector. Um, so we like to say uh, it's a little bit of a mix between like CSI and Boy Meets World. <laughs> That's an interesting combination. Yeah, throw those two shows in a blender and you've got the inspectors. Um, it's really it's really been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Saturday morning, which is kind of catered toward the um, the kids programming, and you mentioned Boy Meets World and CSI. One of those is not a kids and one of them is a kids show. So which uh, where do we fall uh, kind of on that spectrum? Or is it in the middle? I think it's a fine line right in the middle. So you have two storylines in every episode. There's the inspector storyline, which follows um, the United States uh, Postal Inspection Service as they try to um, solve crimes that are um, committed through the mail, whether that means somebody put a letter in the mail or sent drugs through the mail or there's a number of things, uh, you know, fake memorabilia, uh, there was one about an elephant tusk that went through the mail. So as soon as it goes through the mail, it's the USPIS jurisdiction. So um, it's really interesting to kind of show the public some of these crimes that maybe we don't know about, some of these, like, white-collar crimes that we think, you know, don't happen to anybody. But everyone's got a, a grandma or an aunt or somebody somewhere that's been scammed out of some, you know, whether it's a Jamaican lottery scam <laughs> or, um, you know, somebody approaches you and says, hey, I've got this six grand, I'm going to give it to you you take two grand and then give me the rest back or whatever. You know, those shady, shady things that, that happen all the time. Um, part, of, part of our show's mission is to, to make people aware of those um, and, and also, um, you know, also entertain. We work super closely with the United States uh, Postal Inspection Service. They help us write scripts. Um, they're coming up with ideas for crimes and things like that that we can have on the show. Um, every crime on the show is a real case. Um, that has, in fact, happened. So it's really interesting to kind of get into that world and see some of these, you know, not-so-well-known crimes. Yeah, uh, was, I was going to say, that was actually something I was curious about as to whether or not you had uh, any consultants from anybody from the USPIS working uh, working with you guys on the show. Because before the show, um, I had no idea this branch of the government even existed. You know, I thought this was something that kind of fell under like a in like an FBI jurisdiction or something like that. No, and you know what's funny is I didn't either, and most of the cast um, weren't familiar with what the USPIS even was, and a lot of a lot of Americans don't know, and it's really important for them to understand that you know most of us, if you've ever had an issue with you know tampered mail or um, you know received one, you know like a, some kind of threatening letter or whatever, um, back when the whole anthrax thing was going on, um, all that stuff. Is, is their jurisdiction, and they are. They're federal agents. They're the oldest federal agency in America, founded um, 
one of the founders was actually Benjamin Franklin. So there's a whole lot of history, and now I have all these I have all these facts now that I can share on shows <laughs> like this. Um, it's it's pretty cool though. So yeah, I mean they carry guns, they do uh, surveillance, they they set up stings, they do they do the whole thing that you would expect the FBI, the CIA, um, and these other more well known agencies to do. And so um, you know part of it is is giving those guys their uh, their proper their proper credit and 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 um, kind of showing what they do on a day to day basis. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. I actually looked into the USPIS afterwards, and that, it was pretty a pretty interesting read reading all about it. Mm-hmm. All right, so you've intrigued me with saying that all the cases are real. <laughs> so go ahead and give me the the craziest one. Oh, craziest case. <laughs> um, man, I mean, they're all they're all so like you know whether it's a scam that targets elderly or um, you know, like I said, like a Jamaican lottery thing where where somebody is so convincing where they send you a letter or, or whatever and tell you, hey, you've won. Um, and, and to me, it's I would say probably that the Jamaican lottery scam is, was the most kind of flabbergasted I had been because I was just so surprised that people actually would send money. Um, yeah. Places. But, you know, they're convincing to say, hey, um, you know, you've got to pay uh, the taxes on this first or... Um, or some some scams, they'll even have you send money, and then you know they'll they'll send you money back, saying you know here's your interest. But all they're doing is sending you your same money you sent them back, and so it's a um, it's a really well thought out scam. It's just it's sad that people prey on others like that to uh, get rich quick scheme, if you will. And um, but yeah, it's, I, I mean it's every case. I, I look at it, I'm just like, wow, I can't believe that, that people, A, people are doing this to others, and B, people are falling for it. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough time right now. If someone says you can make an easy buck, sometimes you just go with your gut and try it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, so you, I did a little bit of research, and I found that you weren't always in the, the acting world. In fact, you were in the marketing world, I believe. So what made you get out of that corporate world and jump into acting here? Um. Yeah, I think about that a lot. People always ask me, and um, I've always had a passion for for the arts, um, but I was never really encouraged to do it, um, just because it, you know, it's not it's not something. Not to say that my parents didn't encourage me, but it's not something that um, seems like a very well thought out career path. You know, for most <laughs> people, it's like you really want to go and, and 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 get rejected on a daily basis, and and, and maybe have a shot at, at being successful, but. You know, when it's when it's something that you feel really strongly about, and and just and you've got that you've got that itch, you just can't quite scratch. Uh, you've got to try. And so, me and my friends started making YouTube videos, um, doing student films, doing shorts, doing whatever we could, and just kind of met the right people and, and started putting together some demo reels and getting headshots and doing the whole thing. And then it became um, it kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, I need to. Uh, take a leap of faith here. I either need to be a, a salesman or, you know, be a, be a marketing guy or I need to be an actor. I can't be both. I'm confusing the universe by saying sometimes I want to be an actor, but other times I want to be the sales marketing guy. Yeah. So I, um, I, I quit my job one day on a whim and I booked How to Get Away with Murder like a week later. And while I don't have any evidence to, to, to say whether or not those two events are directly related to each other, <laughs> Kind of feels like a crazy coincidence. Um, so I, I don't know. I just I think when I took that leap of faith and decided I didn't want to do the the corporate world 
more um, opportunities started to present themselves. So was that all in L.A. then, or were you making some headway while you were in, I assume you were still in Michigan at this point? Um, it was, this actually all took place in Arizona. Arizona, okay. Um, yeah, I moved from Michigan to Arizona right after college and had a great job. You know, I was, got, had a lot of benefits, got to go on a lot of cool trips and do a lot of stuff that um, people tell you is success and is, um, you know, happiness and all that stuff. And for me, it just wasn't quite fulfilling enough. And so I'm really glad that I made the switch. Yeah, it's, I was gonna. Well, I was gonna ask you that there had to have been some struggles for somebody who didn't have any background in acting, but it sounds like there wasn't because you booked out of Get Away with Murder a week after <laughs> you moved out to LA. So no, is no, that the I case, been, or were there struggles there? Acting. I had been acting for for a, a while, for a few years, and I had been in LA for a couple of years before I had, I had booked How to Get Away with Murder. So yeah, there definitely were um, your struggles of just trying to get people to take you seriously trying to get somebody to take a chance on an unknown actor and just hoping that your work could speak for itself in a, a city, in an industry where unfortunately it's not always the case. It's, um, you know, what's your look? Uh, what's, how many followers do you have? Uh, you know, a number of variables that sometimes you can't really control. And so I went out and auditioned quite a bit, beat down a lot of doors and worked, <laughs> worked really hard and took every workshop I could and spent more money than I'd care to share on classes and headshots and workshops and all kinds of things like that. So there's certainly were there struggles where you know, I moved out to LA with a um, you know a, a savings account and then within two years that didn't even exist anymore. <laughs> and I was wondering what I was what I was going to do, but everything uh, everything worked out the way it was supposed to. Yeah, yeah, like like you said, it worked out. Um, I'm kind of wondering. Um, if there was a, a point where you kind of thought, oh, God, I might be making a, a mistake here, or you felt like you were far, like, because like you said, it's a success story now, but I'm interested in the, uh, in kind of where you were at, at one point um, before you were able to, to c- cater all the success that you've had now at the inspectors. Yeah, I, I actually um, have a specific example. So I was auditioning for a guest star on a show called uh, Rizzoli and Isles on TNT. Oh, yeah. And I went, <laughs> I went into the audition, and I, I was perfect for it. You know, I thought this is this is my time. I'm gonna I'm gonna go and I'm gonna I'm, I think I can book this character is just like me. And I went in and I read the scene, and it, it was a um, a pre-read, which basically means they're not running the camera. Um, they're basically just you know auditioning you, whatever. And uh, I did my audition. I thought it went really really well. And I saw a camera in the back. So they what they were doing is they were pre-reading people, and then if they liked you, they were putting you on tape. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll do my pre-read with the casting director, and then I'll, you know, well, he'll like me, of course, and then I'll go on, I'll go on tape. And I went in there and I did my pre-read with him, and he was like, all right, cool, thanks a lot. And I was like, you're not gonna have me put my audition on tape. And he was like, nope, we we got everything we need. And I walked out and I was thinking, what am I doing here? Like this, this is, this feels like a waste of my time. It feels like, you know, I'm not good enough or whatever. And uh, I found it really helped to. Um, start kind of like journaling after auditions and then go back and maybe read it a few days later and kind of see what a what a complaining little whiner I was being. <laughs> um, so that was that was a moment where I just felt like, you know, I saw a bunch of guys going before me and I kind of got in my head and started feeling competitive. Like, well, those guys were in the room for 20 minutes and I was only in there for five minutes or whatever. And, and so, which is super, super, you know, destructive for actors to do. So, um yeah, that that was a that was a low point where I just thought maybe maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I should try something else. 
Yeah. Um, I want to switch back to the inspectors, uh, obviously, for a couple minutes. Um, you're one of the first uh, leading characters in a show, if not the first, to actually have a physical handicap going into it. Do you find it uh, – is, is there any kind of a challenge to actually acting confined to a wheelchair? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the uh, the physical challenge, um, you know, the, the production rented me a wheelchair for like two weeks leading up to it. Um, so I was constantly in that chair trying to get used to it because my big – um, my big fear at the beginning was I don't want people who are in chairs to watch this show and, and, and see themselves not being portrayed accurately. And, and I, the last thing, you know, there's, there's flashbacks in the show, so the actor that they chose had to be an able-bodied actor to do the flashbacks, but, you know, the last thing I wanted was any sort of backlash from people saying, why didn't they cast an actor who's actually in a wheelchair and this guy's not believable, whatever. Um, so I worked really hard at it, and talked to a lot of great people that we had on set, a lot of consultants that um, helped me. You know, this is how you, there's a, a, a hill, this is how you go down the hill, this is how you get over a, a bump, but, uh, this is how you turn in the kitchen, and all these different things that I had no idea how to do. Um, watched a lot of YouTube videos on how to get out of the chair into a bed or how to go from the couch to the chair and, and all that stuff. So it was definitely a challenge, but I've always said the biggest challenge was getting in um, – the mind frame of somebody who used to have use of his legs and now doesn't and yeah. kind of what that, what that must be like, you know, and to not let yourself become a victim, but just kind of move forward and be strong. Cause some of these, I mean, these consultants that I work with have been in chairs for you know 40 years and they're like, you know, you just, you wake up every day and you think, thank God that you're alive and move on, move forward. And so they, I had a lot of really good examples of, of strong, strong people mentally um, as well as physically. Yeah. So, I mean, you definitely did your research into, uh, you know, what it's like being in the wheelchair and such, but what, what's the feedback been with some of the viewers? I mean, if have you met any viewers who are, you know, con, uh, in wheelchairs and I'm wondering what they, what their thoughts on the character are. Yeah, I've had, uh, quite a few messages on social media, mostly, um, you know, well-received messages, people saying, Hey, I watched the show and it's so nice to see somebody like myself on TV and, um, I had one, the one, I, I wouldn't even call it a negative comment, but one comment I got from uh, a woman overseas, actually, on Facebook. She said uh, she's in a chair, and she does, like, the extreme wheelchair stuff where it's, like, in the, um, like, a skateboarding bowl, uh-huh. I think, does it in her wheelchair. And she got uh, she got mad at me because my character has, the, like, the, um, like, the training wheels on the back of the wheelchair so it won't uh, tip and flip over. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take that as a challenge. Like, I'll, I'll ask production to take those, take those right off. And I went to the production. They were like, yeah, no, we've we've got those on there for uh, insurance purposes, so you don't fall back and, and hit your head on set. And I was like, all right, that, that's fair. So we left we left the uh, the, the safety wheels on the back. Yeah. Um, obviously, I mean, Preston is going through rehab. He, he his goal is to be able to walk again after the accident. And I'm curious from a personal perspective, not necessarily from production, but is that something that you would like to see from his character? Do you want to see him get the ability to walk again? And and if so, do you think that would kind of change the perspective of the viewers who are in wheelchairs who are fans of the character already? Or do you think that would maybe personally push them to strive more that in their own personal lives to be able to do that as well? It's a good question because, you know, most, I mean, I think everybody, I think everybody works as hard as they can to, to walk again. But it's something that's either it's either going to happen or it's not. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. I mean, I've learned enough kind of 
done research and talked to people at like uh, the Christopher Reeve Foundation, and they're constantly trying to get people out of chairs. Um, but you know, medicine can only take you so far. Um, so yeah, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily have like a desired direction for the show to go. I mean, I think it would be great to see um, to see Preston get out of the chair or at least start to make strides towards getting out of the chair. And I think we'll see a little bit of that as the season goes on and kind of see his struggle. Um, but I also want to be realistic and we don't, we would hate to have a character on TV, um, get out of his wheelchair so quickly and so easily and have people back home who are actually in chairs say, no, that's, that's not how it works. Or, you know, give them almost like a false representation of how that recovery process can go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll be really interesting. I mean, I think I think obviously I'd love to see it's such a feel-good story to see Preston get out of the chair or at least start making strides towards walking again. Um, but uh, but it's, it's kind of a fine line to toe. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, Christopher Reeve Foundation because I saw that you're a a supporter of them and a, a, a bunch of causes really. But um, I saw the Christopher Reeve Foundation as well. We love to have actors kind of speak out for causes they believe in and stuff like that. So if you want to go ahead and, and talk a little bit about them and what you've done with them or uh, what they're doing, then uh, feel free. Yeah, you know, I, I, um, I've met some really cool people at the, at the foundation, and actually um, I wear this, this necklace uh, from the Christopher Reeve Foundation. It has a Superman logo on, and I wear it um, almost every day. And it's kind of a reminder um, you know, to, to keep... Keep those people in, in, in your in your thoughts and know that, uh, I mean, being on this show has made me such, such a more compassionate person to and, and just, you know, grateful, grateful to wake up every day and have uh, the use of my legs. And, you know, if I'm at the gym and I'm running on the treadmill and I'm feeling like I want to stop or I want to give up, sometimes I'll even imagine, you know, what if what if Preston or, or, or somebody like Preston was, was – sitting here watching me on the treadmill, watching me not complete this workout because I'm tired, um, because I don't want to anymore, what they would, what they would do to, to switch roles with me. Um, and so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the Christopher Reeve Foundation is, is they're raising a ton of money right now um, to try. Their goal is to get people out of chairs, to have, have tons of empty wheelchairs across the world. Um, and they're, they're doing a, uh, a study right now with, I think, 36 people where they're doing this, this stimulation, this spinal cord stimulation, where um, it's actually yielding some some results. Um, you know, regaining a little bit of you, uh, feeling in the legs and regaining use of uh, of you know being able to use the restroom on their own and, and being able to like regulate their body temperature and stuff like that. So um, there's a lot of really good stuff that's happening right now, and we're really hoping that you know science just continues to advance and, and we can get people out of chairs. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Going back to, again, to the top of the interview, obviously, we mentioned the inspectors. It's on at Saturday mornings, uh, you know, at 8.30 on CBS. We want to make sure we mention that so people go and check out the show. But, you know, I remember a time, you know, when I was younger and, and you know, when we were all younger, when th that was pretty much a prime time for cartoons. And now we've kind of transitioned things where the Saturday morning cartoons, things are no more. But shows like this are, you know, prevalent in that time period. And you mentioned... um you know how this is kind of a mix of Boy Meets World meets CSI. So it's more, it's family, it's still family entertainment, but it's more intelligent family entertainment yeah. now. Uh, you know, what do you think that, how do you think that's been and how do you think that's worked for the viewers that it's kind of made that transition from, 
you know, goofy cartoons to more intelligent family television. I think it, I think it's only going to benefit our our society as a whole. I mean, I, trust me, I grew up watching cartoons on Saturday morning too, and and I think uh, I think those those have a certain uh, certain you know special place in all of our hearts and the nostalgia that we oh, all yeah. you know we grew grew up watching them. But um, you know, at some point, the FCC stepped in and and, and created a um, a regulation that uh, Saturday morning programming has to be educational and informational, and so. That's our show falls under those guidelines where it's uh, it's educational and informational. So we're teaching about crimes that that could happen, or we're teaching a you know a, a lesson, kind of like how Saved by the Bell was back in the day, where it was like you know this episode is going to be the uh, the anti drug episode, or this is the episode where they try alcohol for the first time, and and we're trying to teach viewers um, you know anti bullying and uh, things like that. And so I think. It's I think it's pretty cool that um, you know we we've, we've kind of ditched the uh, kind of the quick, easy entertainment of cartoons to a, something a little more intelligent. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're in a, we live in a day a day and age now where all those cartoons that we love can all be found online. So it's not like they've completely disappeared yeah. from our world. Go watch Adult Swim. Yeah, watch Adult Swim on Thursday night or whatever. You can get your cartoons wherever you want. You know, they might you can watch whatever cartoons you want with a DVR on Saturday morning. You yeah, exactly. Exactly. Adult Swim Saturday morning. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we can watch them pretty much anytime, anywhere now. So it's not like it's a big loss that, you know, uh, we've replaced the Saturday morning cartoons with shows like this, especially when shows like this are as informative and entertaining as, you know, as they are. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's stay in the childhood ground and talk about some old school hip hop here. <laughs> uh, go ahead and, and give me your favorites. And we'll. You, first of all, you're not like a 23-year-old that thinks old-school hip-hop is something like Lil Wayne or anything like that, right? Like, we're going to talk about Absolutely. real old-school hip-hop here? No, my uh, my favorites uh, in terms of, you know, old-school, if you will, I mean, I love uh, I love Biggie, I love Nas, I love Tupac, um, Run DMC, we talked, I talked with someone the other day about Run DMC, how they're kind of the first to do it. Um, I did a, I did a report in high school on Run, Run DMC, we had to, like, you know, go through their whole discography and, like, see what songs they did and the, the, the positive influence they had on the movement and everything like that. And so um, I was just kind of really um, enthralled by that and thought it was super cool. And so I kind of just stuck with that that culture, and it was always more fun for me in, in, in school to, to hang, out with the, hang out with the guys that did listen to, to hip-hop and, and, and kind of be a part of that culture. It was a lot of fun. So um, I would say if I had to pick one, though, I, I, would, I would say... Uh, Notorious B.I.G. is probably my, my favorite when it comes to old school. Yeah, it's a classic. Uh, the tr- the new Tribe album, how about that? You have any, or Did you listen to them at all? And they, they got a new one coming out? Late. Like I was late on Tribe, um, but I definitely uh, I started I started listening more probably in the last like three or four years. I started listening a little more. Um, who, are you, who are you guys' favorites? I mean, you guys are, I, I trust you guys are probably a little older than me. Let's <laughs> go. <laughs> Let's go back and see what you guys like. Well, I mean, it's it's funny you brought up Run DMC. I actually had an opportunity to see them this summer, uh, oh, nice. and it was it was so incredible. To I mean, it's not obviously they're not the same now, but it's uh, it was still I, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to go see them when I saw them coming to town. So I, I went and I saw them, and I had a great time at the show. But I mean, I go back to God. I mean, when I, when I hear old school, uh, the first name that comes to my head. I mean, other than you know, maybe Coolio and, and such is, uh, I go back to young MC, uh, 
uh, mm. you know, young MC, Grandmaster Flash, you know, I go a little bit older, but still everything you said, I still think qualifies as old school at this point. Yeah, and for the record, yeah, I'm, no, the same, I'm the same age as you think. It's but... but I had a similar experience that you saw Run DMC. I was at a country concert in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago, and uh, and they brought out Boys to Men. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and, and I thought they were kidding. I was like, there's no way Boys to Men is at a country. And they came <laughs> out, and they were all there, and they sang a couple songs, and I was the same way. I was like, I grew up listening to them. This is so cool. So, yeah, I, I hear you when you when you see somebody on, on up on stage and you haven't heard of or seen in forever, it's it brings back a little piece of your childhood. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. And this all kind of parlays into your YouTube. I don't know if, if you have a channel or anything like that, but you've kind of built some awareness, right, as a uh, as a bit of a, a rapper yourself on YouTube. I don't know if you want to reveal that or not. but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I started um, I started doing that years ago. Actually, in school, I had a um, – in 10th grade, I had a, a project where we had to do a music video. And a couple of friends and I did a song. Um, we did a music video to Outkast. Uh, nice. I like the way you move, yeah. and it was so fun. I had so much fun doing it. Like we gotta do this more often. And then we started making our own songs, our own versions of songs, and parodies. And I always loved uh, Weird Al, so I was like, I want to do stuff like that. And so we started doing some things, and um, just had a ton of fun. And I'm actually starting to get into music a little more seriously now. Um, I've been working with like a voice coach and and, and doing some singing, and also doing um, continuing to do the rap because I mean that's where. That's where we started. You know, I can't, I can't abandon that. So I've, uh, I've been having a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, cool, man. Uh, before we let you go, I, I, you just mentioned somebody. Um, if you haven't seen yet, you want to talk about going back to your childhood. Uh, I saw Weird Al last year for the first time. I mean, I'm I'm 36 years old. It was the first time I ever got the chance to see him. And man, let me tell you, you want to talk about going back to your childhood. That was mm-hmm. probably one of my top five favorite concerts I have ever been to. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah, so I mean, uh, if you you personally, if you ever get the chance to see him, I know he plays out in L.A. a lot because I think it, that's I think that's where he's at. I think he's based out there. Um, if you get the chance, go and see him, man. He's a blast. I will. I've heard I've heard uh, the same thing from a number of people, and I, I'm surprised he's still doing it. I can't even imagine how old he is. Well, I mean, you <laughs> you think about it too. Is the, the number of albums that he has out? He his last album. Um, which I can't even remember the name of it now for the life of me, even though I own it. Uh, you know, for as long as he's been doing this, he finally hit number one on the Billboard ch- Billboard charts. Nice. You know, it took him over 30 years to get it done, and, you know, he finally did it. So, yeah, he's uh, something else, man. He's, uh, he's a one of a kind. Yeah. Definitely, for sure. But we want to definitely, um, you know, push our listeners to go check out the inspectors Saturday mornings at eight thirty on CBS. We're going to send them your way on Twitter as well at Brett J Green. Correct? I think that's right. So, uh, but yeah, but Brett, this was uh, this was a lot of fun, man. Very informative too. So uh, we really enjoyed talking to you. We hope we get to talk to you again down the road. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Showcast Spotlight. We will be back with another Spotlight down the road uh, when we'll join you then. Take care. Bye.